Thank you, Miss Susan. I, uh, I want to talk about the mission trip for just a moment this morning. Uh, on the screen, you, there is a pastor and his wife. Um, this is uh, when I was asked a couple months ago if I could possibly go on a trip, and I, I told them I needed to look at my schedule and pray about it, and, and just within just two or three days, the Lord just confirmed that uh, this was a trip that I needed to make uh, to South Africa. Have never been uh, to South Africa. What this trip is going to entail is there's, uh, there's going to be two ladies with four of us guys uh, that are going to teach pastors. It's called a shepherd school. And uh, we're going to be teaching the pastors and the ladies are going to be working with the pastor's wives uh, during this time. Uh, the folks that are coming, there are going to be seven couples that are coming. Uh, six of them are, are married couples. One of them is an engaged couple that will be here, that will be there during that week. Um, every pastor that is going to be there, uh, number one, they are not Southern Baptists. There are, there's not a Southern Baptist convention in South Africa. There is a South African Baptist convention, and uh, they are part of this South African Baptist convention. Uh, but this pastor, Auditor is his name, and his wife, uh, Florence, I believe, if I remember right. I can't even, uh, I, I can't, can you pull up, do you see any of the words there? Uh, I, Josephine, all right, great, thank you. And uh, Josephine and Auditor, and they are a couple, this couple is the one that we as a church have adopted. And how we've adopted them is that we are paying their way to come to this training. Uh, you say, well, where did the money come from? God provided the money uh, out of it. It cost $300 uh, to, to, to support this couple for the week. Uh, they're taking off from their jobs. They're, they're coming to spend those five or six days with us just as we're taking off to go and, and spend those days with them. Uh, but I want you to begin to pray for this couple. This couple is uh, needing your prayers. Uh, not only I, I may get to preach in this man's church, I may not get to preach. And I'm going to get to preach twice. Uh, I'm going to be there two Sundays, and so I'll get to preach in two different churches. But this couple is the one that this church has adopted uh, through, the, through the giving. And so there are lots of ways that you can support this couple. Number one... There's go, there will be giving you an email address so that you can can uh, email them and tell them that you're praying for them uh, during this time and not only during this time but prior to and even uh, afterwards. Uh, there, uh, I'm excited about being able to do this. Uh, I'm going to be teaching a course called Shepherding the Flock uh, there, and then I'm also on uh, Tuesday night and Wednesday night. I believe I'm going to be doing a marriage enrichment. Uh, with these couples. Uh, these couples are also going to be doing spiritual gift analysis. They're going to be, we've got a lady going, uh, Krista is going from our state convention. She's going to be actually teaching a, a course on children's ministries, which none of these churches, many of these churches don't even have a children's ministry within them. And so this is all going to be uh, really new and exciting. And, and we're going to pour our hearts into them and our lives and, and ministries into them over that week time. And so uh, uh, I will pray, uh, just pray that, that God will continue to work. 
It is going to be during, it's going to be during winter uh, in South Africa in July. And I just to be honest with you, I'm looking forward to a little winter uh, time uh, in South Africa. Uh, weather most of the days are going to be in the 60s and 70s. Somebody's got to suffer, amen? And so uh, we're going to get to suffer for Jesus for during those days. Uh, it is going to get cold at night, be in the 40s most of the time uh, there. And so, uh, but we're really seven couples and uh, we're, we're looking forward to, they're going, we're all going to be within this uh, this lodge that I can't even pronounce the name. I will get that. Uh, some of that stuff will get to you uh, in these next few weeks as we get a little bit closer. But really and truly, it's just right around the corner. Uh, we'll be flying out July 4th and uh, at 11.55 from Albuquerque at nighttime. And we'll fly into New York uh, City uh, to JFK, uh, have about a three, three and a half hour layover get on a plane, just a small plane ride to Doha, Qatar for 12 and a half hours on that plane, uh, get out for tw- two hours in Doha, get on another plane for another little jaunt of eight hours on another plane. Uh, so uh, we're looking forward to, not looking forward to the flights, but uh, looking forward to being in South Africa uh, there. And and so it is really going to be uh, uh it's going to be some exciting things, and I'll be able to I get to share. Marsha wants me to make sure that I, I do on WhatsApp is an app that you can download, and we'll be sending back pictures and videos and those kinds of things for you to see. Next Sunday, Marsha and I will be gone. We'll be going to the SBC in Dallas, and uh, so Mike, Michael Summers will be here to preach uh, next Sunday for you guys, and then uh, the following week, Nathan... Uh, will be with us uh, for he will actually show up on that Monday that I'm gone and start getting his office ready to go and and so uh, Nathan is just around the corner for Nathan and Haley and Naomi to be with us uh, work, uh, leading us in worship and with children's ministry so we're got a lot of exciting things taking place during the summer how many of you have seen the commercial where the young man comes into the bedroom and stands at the door and starts describing a what he calls a minor fender bender with moms and dads with the with the family vehicle, and he goes into this big detail of that it's with all state and that that all has been forgiven and he's already called it in and no worries there and and about the time he turns around to walk away, mom says you're grounded for four weeks and without missing a beat he said. Okay, mom, thank you. And he turns around and walks off. Now, the young man was just trying to put everything into proper perspective. Now, that's exactly, we've come to the end of the book of Hebrews. This is our 52nd message out of the book of Hebrews. And I want to just bring everything to, into proper perspective as we close out this book. And so Hebrews is often called the epistle to the Hebrews. But it really isn't a letter. It is really more of a sermon there, a long sermon. If you read from Hebrews 1 through the end of of chapter 13, it would take an average reader about 45 minutes. That's basically a length of a sermon there. And this is really a long sermon about the superiority of Jesus over the Old Testament uh, uh, judicial system there over the Old Testament system. Now, this was not written to one church. 
It was written to, not to one city, but it was written to all of the Hebrew believers that were scattered out through the Roman Empire. Now, when this book was written, the massive temple was still standing in Jerusalem until 70 AD when it was destroyed by the Romans. The Jewish priests, as this, this word was written, they were still killing bulls and rams and goats and lambs at the temple every single day. This document was written to Hebrew believers who had turned their backs to their Jewish religious traditions and many of them had been ostracized. Many of them had been persecuted by their families and friends and these Hebrews had decided that there was a Jewish rabbi named Jesus had come along and they decided that he was the Jewish Messiah and there was no longer any need for sacrifice of animals on this brazen altar that stood outside the temple in Jerusalem. As the writer ends his sermon in chapter 13, he reminds them of a better altar and a better sacrifice than than they could ever make. And so I want us to begin reading in chapter 13, and let's read verse 10. It says, We have an altar from which those who worship at the tabernacle do not have a right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the most holy place by the high priest as a sin offering are burned up outside the camp. Therefore, what is it therefore? Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp bearing his disgrace. For we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of the lips that confess his name. Verse 16 says, do not neglect to do what is good and to share, for for God is pleased with such sacrifices. Obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for they would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are convinced that we have a clear conscience, wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything, and I urge you all the more to pray that I may be restored to you very soon. Now may the God of peace, who brought upon up from the dead of our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will working in us what is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to receive this message of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Be aware that our brother Timothy has been released, and if he comes soon enough, he will be with me when I see you. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who are from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you all. We often use the terms praise and worship together, but they aren't the same thing. Praise and worship are not the same thing. Worship is this larger umbrella of expressing our adoration to God. And you and I can do that in many, many ways. Underneath the larger context of worship, there are the acts of singing praises as you did very well just a few moments ago, reading 
praise, praising God with an instrument, with the piano, and, and praying our intercessory prayer, and making an offering, and serving God. Those are just to mention a few that we've already done this morning. In context of this passage, I'm going to be talking about worship that involves an offering of sacrifice of praise to God. And with that in mind, your outline is on the back of the bulletin there. Number one, the altar of worship through him. The readers were familiar of the book of Hebrews, were familiar with the altars that were part of the temple in Jerusalem. When God gave Moses the plan for the tabernacle, that way back in the Old Testament, he instructed that they build two different altars there for worship. The large brazen altar was built outside for the, in, in the courts of the praise there, or the courts of the priest, not the courts of praise. But the brazen altar was built outside in this court, in the court of priests. It was a square for each side measuring seven and a half feet, and then be, it stood four and a half feet tall. And so it was about this tall, and it was seven and a half feet wide. It was made of wood overlaid with bronze there. To put it in terms that you and I could possibly understand what it looked like, it was basically a large barbecue grill. In fact, that never the fire never went out. It was always being stoked and always burning. The sacrifices were offered as a sweet aroma to the Lord. And there's, I'll just tell you, I went in on Memorial Day. I had to go and do a few things over at the city fire department there. And, uh, and so I went in the back door. And as I went into the back door there, I, uh, uh, it was really, uh, I was kind of surprised. Inside there, it smelled good. And I thought, this does not smell like a regular fire department. Why it smelled so good is the fire department here has a, one of those big grills like we have from Sam's. And guess what? Elena that day, being on the, the ambulance crew, she decided, and it was about 1130 when I went in there, she had just finished cooking steaks and pork chops on that grill. Uh, there's nothing that smells better than steaks cooking on a grill. Amen. All y'all are getting hungry, I know, so I got to wind this down a little bit. But the sacrifices are, were on this altar there, this brazen altar, was all of this meat being cooked all of the time there. The, but the food wasn't wasted. The priests and his fam, their families would eat much of the food. And according to our passage in the book of Hebrews, we have a different altar. They had a brazen altar, but we have a different one. Look at verse 10. It says, We have an altar from which those who worship at the tabernacle do not have a right to eat. So where is our Christian altar? During my years of ministry, I have performed lots of wedding ceremonies. And it's not unusual for the bride to be nervous. I always try to get in to see the bride before the wedding time and, and there. And, and one bride was so nervous that when it came time to walk down the aisle, she froze up and she couldn't take another step. Even her daddy couldn't drag her down the aisle. I mean, she was just frozen. And, and so when the wedding coordinator saw that, she, she just she told the bride, she said, whispered in her ear, said, just look up at the altar, then look up at your groom. She says, look at the aisle, 
Look up at the altar. Look at your groom. Look at the aisle. Look at the altar. Look at the groom. And just say that as you're walking down, down the aisle. And so sure enough, those three words kept coming through that bride's mind. And as she was walking there, she says, I'll alter him. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. And boy, did she ever alter her, her groom there. Now, when I do pre-marriage counseling, I, I use that story quite a bit to, to tell the bridegroom that it's hard for you and even the bride and the groom to tell them that it's hard to change the person once you're married. Sometimes it's hard to change someone else, and, and we never can change someone else, can we? We can't even change ourselves half the time. And so, so when we're trying to change someone else, there's always problems there. But in this context, I want us to focus on the word alter. Alter. When the church has what every church has, most churches have what they call an altar call. We have one at the end of the most services. And what that means is if you're not part of a Baptist church, what that means is that... At the end of the service, they call him for people to come and kneel down here on these steps and, and talk to the Lord and, and respond to what the Holy Spirit's calling them to do there. Now, if you go into a Catholic church and some mainline Protestant churches, there is a table where communion is prepared, and they call that the altar there rather than there. And, and this altar, is, is that the altar that the writer is referring to? Is it referring to what we have here or is it referring to what some other churches have as what they call the altar? I want to say no, that's not what the author is talking about here. It says that we have a better altar. Every item, every part of the tabernacle was a type of Jesus Christ. And just as the altar was the means of access to the presence of God in the temple, Jesus is our altar to whom we are granted full access to a holy God. A few years ago, a few years ago, just a few weeks ago, the Masters, the golf tournament was on. And it always, it's always in the first full weekend of April and, and uh, there. And, and I'm not much of a golfer. I, I goof more than a golf, and, and but I like playing it when I have a chance there. But I, I found out something this year that, that I really didn't know. I, I knew that it was a, you know, the Masters is the tournament for professional golfers. But at Augustus, where it is held there in Georgia, there they have a, a building there. Now, if you, if you have the capability of paying for the tickets you get this really prestigious ticket. And guess what that ticket allows you to do? It allows you to walk down on the outside of the ropes of the fairways and stand there and stand on the outside of the ropes along greens there. And that's all that you can do is and watch the golfers as they play their game and go by there. But let me tell you what happens if you are part of the tournament if you are also part of, if you are part of the club there, 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 there is a, in the clubhouse, there is a hospitality section called Berkman's Place. It's near the fifth fairway. And Berkman's Place is so secret that there are no pictures of it anywhere. 
In fact, I Googled for two weeks trying to find a, a picture that somebody had snapped. Now, you can take, there's a picture of the outside, but there are no pictures of the inside there. And guess what? The only way to get into it is to have this prestigious pass. And once you have that pass, you have to pledge that you'll not take a picture of the inside of Berkman's place there. I would dare say that if you ever had a, access to that prestigious pass that you were allowed to get into Berkman's place with, along with the players and along with those that are part of the club there, if you were ever able to do that, you would think, man, I have really made it. But let me just say something, that you and I have something better than Berkman's place. In fact, through him, Jesus Christ, I have an all-access pass to God the Father. And with that in mind, he is our altar of sacrifice. So number two, we have the fellowship of worship. It says, let us. God is calling us to be a community of praise there. And when we are a community of praise, we live in such an individualistic world, don't we? There are people who think that they don't need to come together with others to worship God. And you know what their excuse is most of the time when they don't want to come to church and worship with other believers? Is that they say, I can worship God all by myself. I can worship God in the mountains. I can worship Him on the ocean. There, I can worship Private worship, let me just say, is very important in the life of a believer. But here in the New Testament... The New Testament enforces the importance of coming together to worship God. Listen to what King David sang in Psalm chapter 34 and verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Together. I love hearing musicians play an instrument solo. When Marcia plays the piano, it moves me. I, I just want you to know when, when others play their guitars or when my daughter comes and, and plays her flute, I just want you to know I, I really get into that there. But there's something more powerful when there is a huge orchestra playing together that I think a solo artist could never match. Okay, man, when you go and, and you see a symphony and hear them and there. Uh, I tease Stephen about going to sing symphonies in, in Amarillo, but I just want you to know when a whole orchestra gets together, a symphony, there is just nothing quite like that. There's, uh, we need the experience, church, of coming together. There, you, solo worship's great, but why we have songs with words like, oh, come let us adore him. Or we sing songs like this, come we who love the Lord and let our joys be heard. And then number three, the frequency of worship. It says that we will continually offer up. So how often should we worship God continually? The scripture says that we need to do it continually there. So how often should we do it? That word doesn't carry the idea of every moment, what it means is on a regular basis we are worshiping. That doesn't mean you walk around saying hallelujah, praise the Lord to every person that you meet. When I meet people like that, I, I want to kind of stay away from them every now and then. I, I think, what in the world, uh, what are, what's going on there? They probably think that, that you were, if I walked around all day long in the office just 
Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I just want you to know, the workers in the office would close their doors and lock it from the inside. They'd start saying, what is wrong with that preacher there? Now, that's not what it's saying to do. Now, I, I know I, I, when I hear people uh, like that, I, I just think, man, alive, what's going on in their life there? Now, there must be a pattern. That doesn't mean you're just walking around, but there should be a regular pattern for your worship. I believe that you should worship privately every day. You should worship several times a week with your family. And you should gather at least every week to join with your brothers and sisters in corporate worship. But worship should not be restricted to just times of gathering with the congregation of believers. You can worship while you're at your job. You can worship while you're at school, students. There. Johann Sebastian Bach was one of the greatest musical composers of all time. He composed hundreds of songs in both religious and secular. And he always signed his works with his life philosophy. Sole Deo Gloria. He, every work that he ever performed, er, that he ever wrote, he always signed it like that, which means God alone deserves the glory. God alone deserves the glory. Bach worshiped God through his career as a musician. Whatever you do, five or six days a week, you always have the opportunity to give God the glory. Number four, the audience for worship to God. In the Old Testament, worship was a spectator sport. You know why it was a spectator sport? The priests, the common people would, would bring their sacrifices uh, to, the, to the tabernacle, to the priest, and then they would back away to watch the worship. The priest would slaughter the animal and went through the prescribed steps of sacrifice on behalf of the person, the worshiper. But only the priest could enter that area of the temple. The choir that was the same way was made up of Levites there, of the, of the, the tri- tribe of Levi there. And they worshiped the, and the common people just had to watch. But in the New Testament, worship was not a spectator sport. They didn't have to watch while the professional priest conducted worship. In fact, in the New Testament, the, the distinction between the people and the priest, it is removed. It's gone. We're all part of God's royal priesthood. But, but in practice, we sometimes still communicate the idea that worship is a spectator sport. We often assume, and I say we, I'm saying the ones up here leading worship... A lot of times, if we're not careful, we're going to assume you are the audience and the people up here, they're the professional worshipers. Folks, we have to stay away from that thought. We have to get that out of our, our heads today. You may think that, that uh, we're performing for you, but that's not worship. That's performance there. And here's the truth. We're all one choir singing to an audience of one, and that's God Almighty. We're all big choir there. I tease you all the time. How many times have I said to you, man, you sounded good today. We ought to just get on a bus and go on tour. That's exactly what I've been trying to portray to you all these years is that we are all one choir, one group singing to Almighty God. Now, worship is our reaction when we catch a glimpse of the greatness of God. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah saw the greatness of God and he fell down before his vision 
This is his, his first thought was this when he saw, Woe is me, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. In other words, when Isaiah saw God in all of his holiness, he was so unworthy to even be in his presence. And when you're truly worshiping and you catch a glimpse of God in all of his amazing majesty and glory, guess what? I'll just tell you. We got someone calling. Hello, Lord. I'll get you there. A.W. Tozer once wrote, Worship is the missing jewel in the evangelical church. Worship rises or falls with our concept of God. And that's why I don't believe in the half-converted cowboys who called God the man upstairs. Now, it's not just cowboys who say that, right? I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, well, you know, the man upstairs there. He goes on and says, I don't think they worship at all because their concept of God is unworthy of God and of themselves. And there is one terrible disease in the church of Christ, and that is that we do not see God as great as He is. We're too familiar with God. So just remember, we're not singing to entertain or to please you. We're all here as one audience of one. And the only applause we should be listening to is the applause of the nail-pierced hands of Jesus Christ. Number five, the circumstances of worship, a sacrifice of praise. The Bible teaches that we should praise the Lord in all circumstances. But we all know that there are times and circumstances when it seems easier to praise the Lord than other times. In fact, when the sun is shining and we feel good and everyone seems to love us and we have plenty of money in the bank, it's relatively easy to sing, thank you, Lord. That's really no sacrifice. I believe the key to this verse is our willingness to praise God even when things, when we're going through difficult times. That's when praise becomes a valuable sacrifice to God. It's a lot easier, folks. It's easier to sing a song of praise when you're on the mountaintop than it is when you're in the valley there. When we're living on the mountaintop of blessing, we really feel like praising God, amen? Hallelujah, what a great day. And, but then it really doesn't cost us anything to praise God from the mountaintop. But when we find ourselves in that valley of despair, that's when praise becomes a real sacrifice. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, We're told, give thanks in all circumstances. That is, God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Praising God and thanking God are two sides of the same worship coin, thanking Him and praising Him. You praise Him for who He is, and you also thank God for what He's done. But the Bible never says we should praise God for the bad circumstances. But we are to praise Him in the bad circumstances. Not for them, but in them there. If you get a diagnosis of cancer, you don't have to say, God, I praise you for this cancer in my body. That's not what you say. Instead, you say, Lord, I praise you in the midst of this diagnosis that you be glorified in everything there. No, you're not thanking God for the cancer. You're thanking God because he's good. He cares for you even in the midst of any situation. And then there's the expression, number six of worship, the fruit of our lips. When it comes to praise, 
We can't just think praiseworthy thoughts about God. We express our thoughts with our lips. Folks, it's got to be verbal. It needs to be vocal. It's not enough to have a feeling of gratitude towards God. You don't complete the praise requirement until it's sung or until it's spoken. Now, I'm fixing to step on some toes here. And just to tell you, I had to look at my own life before I said this. An inner attitude of gratitude is the root of our praise. But it doesn't become praise until it becomes the fruit of praise expressed by our lips. Now, one of the reasons I sit on the front row is because through the years, I've sat up on stage while you guys are out there standing and singing and I've been up on stage and guess what I've seen lots of times during my years, 37 years of being a pastor. I've seen people standing and never opening their mouths and praising the Lord. Now you'll tell me, well preacher, the reason I don't sing is you haven't heard me sing before there. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you, if you say you can't sing, let me ask you, how many of you have ever sang happy birthday to your kids or grandkids? Let me see your hand. All right, thank you. That's, or sing happy birthday to anybody. Now, does that mean, I, I can just tell you what, I've been in restaurants where I've seen waiters and waitresses I guarantee you they cannot sing. And they are singing at the top of their lungs. Happy birthday. And my daughter, my granddaughter, this past year turned seven just a few months ago. And here comes the waiters and waitresses. She literally crawled underneath the table, bawling and boohooing because they were singing happy birthday. But the moment they left, she got up and ate her dessert. Uh, there, but while they were singing, she didn't like it. But let me ask you, if you can sing happy birthday to your kids, to someone you love and like, how come you can't sing to Almighty God? I, I will just tell you, one of the, the Bible says to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. That requires you to make some noise with your lips, not just stand there. When I think of people who can't sing, my mind always goes back to my childhood during church in which I heard a man who you might call a prisoner singer always behind a few bars and can't find the right key. That's what that is. I found myself thinking, Fogg, his name was James Fogg, please don't sing another lick. That guy, I'm telling you, he sang louder than anybody in church. And he could not carry a tune in in a five-gallon bucket for sure. But he always made a joyful noise into the Lord. And I thought, you know, if I could just hear James Fogg singing one more time, I'd walk up to him and say, you know, James... Through the years, as a young person, I thought, please don't ever sing again. But I would just thank him for how he praised the Lord during the songs. 
I've said this many times, and my wife has <clears throat> looked at me every time I've said it, but I've said it many times, <clears throat> excuse me, when I get to the point where I don't like the music that's being played in church, I'm going to not ever complain about it. You know why? Because I believe that the church, wherever it will be, is trying to reach the generation that needs to be reached for the cause of Christ. Now, there's times I, I heard you today, when that, when that hymn came on, boy, some of you kicked it right in there. Good. <clears throat> Those other songs that maybe you didn't know as well, that's okay. You don't have to sing so loud there. But the sacrifice of praise will always, is always the fruit of your lips. Even if you don't think your voice sounds good, God loves to hear you sing to Him. And then the content, and then I'm going to close. Confess His name. Let's review the entire 15th verse. Look at it. It says, therefore, through Him. That means Jesus is our altar. Let us. What does that mean? Together, continually, which means all times, Offer up to God. He is our audience. This is not our audience. He's our audience. A sacrifice of praise. That is something that costs us. That is the fruits of lips. It must be expressed. That confess His name. That's verse 15. Now praise is exalting and magnifying the name of Jesus. And to magnify means that the name becomes more and more important to us as we become less and less important. Can we confess that name right now? Can you confess it with your lips? Can you do it with me? Just say Jesus. 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 There's just something about that name. The song says, Master, Savior, Jesus. There's just something about that name. We're going to sing that song in just a moment during the invitation. But I've I, I really tried, I wanted to bring a real life example of offering up the sacrifice of praise. Marsha, when she picked the next to last song that we sang this morning, had no idea what God had laid on my heart. When we were singing that song, I began to have tears in my eyes. Because I know the story, a little bit about that behind the scenes there. Stephen Curtis Chapman, well-known singer and songwriter, I believe that man knows and understands what it is to offer a sacrifice of praise to God. The Chapmans had adopted their third child from China, and her name was Maria, in May of 2008. Five-year-old Maria was playing in the yard and when one of her brothers drove up in his SUV and somehow during that process, Maria was accidentally run over when he was backing up the SUV to park. Stephen said it was as if he was in a deep black hole when his daughter died. And he wondered if he'd ever sing again. But a few days, just a few days after her death, he found himself weeping and singing that song that we sang this morning, Blessed Be Your Name, written by Matt Redman. The song 
speaks about praising God when the sun is shining as well as when you are suffering. Part of the song quotes Job's grief in the Bible as it says, you give and take away, you give and take away. Stephen would later say, as I sang that song, it wasn't a song. It was a cry, a scream, a prayer. And he said, I found an amazing comfort and peace that surpassed all understanding at that moment. If Stephen Curtis Chapman could say that even in the bad times, praise for God came off of his lips. I want to remind you of those powerful lyrics that confess the greatness of the Lord. You sang, Blessed be your name, when the sun's shining down on me, when the world all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. You give and take away. You give and you take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. When the sun shines or the rain falls, we're to praise the Lord. When there's pain in our lives, that's when our praise becomes a precious sacrifice to God. So as you bow your heads this morning. Oh, it's easy to sing and to offer praise to God when things are going well. But when things aren't going well, that's when it really becomes a sacrifice of praise. I can't tell you how many times through the years in my office, or out on the tractor, or in the fields, when things are not going well, I found myself singing. When I was a kid, many of you know my story about being sexually, verbally, physically abused by my stepdad and my family. I can tell you that the way I got through a lot of that was I listened to gospel music. I had a little turntable and I can remember buying those records. And folks, I can't tell you how many times I went to sleep with music going when I had just been beaten or been abused. Even in those moments, I, I didn't know what I was doing. All I knew is that I was hurting and, and all where I found joy was singing to God, talking to God. Now, I know that some of you have made up your mind that you're not ever going to sing a song in corporate worship out loud. But I'm just going to tell you, when you worship like you need to worship, you will sing praises unto Him, even when it doesn't seem like it's the best time. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I can't tell you how many times in my office through the week I sing this song that Marsha's playing. There's just something about that name. And I can sing that song several times. 
And there's something about it that just makes things that seem like they're just about to fall apart doesn't seem to be quite as big. Because I know soon and very soon he's coming back. So I don't know where you are. I don't know if you're on the mountaintop today or you're in the valley. I don't know if you feel like everything's coming around you. Maybe you feel like our Cimarron where the fire is all around them and there are people there to protect them. And Let me just tell you, if you feel like there's fire all around you, God's there to protect you. Father, we come to you today and I don't know where each individual is in their time of praise and worship. But Lord, we want to offer a sacrifice of praise to you today. Lord, this little song, reading your scripture and praying it is a way that we want to praise you today. So Lord, may it be a sweet sound. May it be an offer of a sacrifice of praise. As you stand this morning, would you sing that little chorus, little little verse with us? Sing it, even though you don't feel like you can. Make a joyful noise.